Hey folks, before we start the show, a reminder that we're in our fun drive for root words. If you like the show, and we hope you do, please consider following the link in the description to our donation page, or by visiting vermontfarmersfoodcenter.org. Any donations received by the end of July will be matched by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Your support helps us share these stories with the community. Now on to the show. Welcome to Root Words, a podcast that explores agriculture and cooking's role in connecting us to our landscape and our communities. I'm Stephen Abatel. Root Words is a collaboration between Vermont Farmers Food Center, Shrewsbury Agricultural Education and Arts Foundation, Shrewsbury Historical Society, WEXP, and many other community members. The project began in 2017 and was made possible by support from the National Endowment for the Humanities, as well as from this community. Throughout this podcast, you're going to be hearing stories from people around the Rutland County region in the heart of Vermont, a region rich in agriculture, family farms, a region that's a pastoral working landscape. These stories are going to be each little windows into what a regional food system really looks like on the community level. We're excited to introduce you to some passionate folks working with the land and with food and bringing communities together. So please pull up a chair and enjoy. Before we start the show, an acknowledgement that vibrant indigenous foodways were here and provided for countless generations before the colonizing of this area. Root Words will bring you some stories of folks continuing our area's indigenous food practices on some future episodes, but this episode talks about an innovation, or perhaps a reinvention, of the current predominant food system, with a bit of history on how we got here. We'll speak with Rob Hausline from Sugar Bob's Finest Kind, and Harley Sterling, the school nutrition director from Wyndham Northeast Supervisory Union, as we explore the Food Hub. A few years back, farmer Greg Cox piqued my interest with his vision of creating a Rutland rail car that would carry farm products from our area to large city markets. He said this was something Rutland had done in its history, in an aggregation center near the old rail yards. And I think, to me, the thought that Rutland was once generating value and exporting it felt inspirational. If you've been a listener to our show, you know that it's not hard to feel inspired when Farmer Greg gets going. Yeah, we're, uh, we're within, I could even throw a, a squash and hit where the building was. It's the entire property where the, AT, the TD Bank North ATM is, where you see those six by six, the parking lot, that was the building. The tracks were right here, trains would go back right into it, they would load it up. It was Vermont's, not Rutland's, it was Vermont's largest food storage aggregation and distribution facility. And we, uh, all the way back to the 1830s, Vermont was the breadbasket of New England. So uh, Vermont has always managed to pivot. Greg, what else do you know about the aggregation site here? Not a tremendous amount because there's not a lot. I've seen pictures of the old building. I do know that um, the infrastructure that existed 
in Vermont towns throughout Rutland County and Addison County, all of that stuff would end up here. And it would be shipped after the rail lines were established. Um, virtually every town had its own creamery. Virtually every town had its own locker so they could store things. And you, you'd be hard-pressed to find a town in Rutland County that still has a locker. And none of them have creamers. I decided to track down this piece of our agricultural past to see how it might inform and inspire our present. What I found is that the story of this aggregation center as a pillar of the regional economy, well, is complex. Rutland County is home to around 62,000 people today. It's just south of centrally located and rises from rich, silty lake and river valley farmland in the west to the Green Mountains and Killington and Pico ski areas in the east. In the 19th century, higher lands provided maple sugar, lumber, and grazing lands. In the middle, the Taconic Mountains provided the marble for the U.S. Supreme Court and the Jefferson Memorial in D.C. The marble industry accelerated railroad connectivity, and by the mid-1800s, five major lines crossed in Rutland that connected to Chicago, Montreal, Boston, and New York. Western competition reduced Vermont's cattle herds in the 1840s, but the Vermont livestock industry benefited from the railroads. The Western cattle just had so much longer of a journey to Northeastern markets in those days that Vermont's proximity made for a healthier and heavier animal upon delivery. An 1848 report from the Boston Traveler noted, the Vermont cattle are well known in our market as the choicest, and we now begin to receive them, free from the loss of fat and unexposed to the chance of being heated by the long journey on the hoof. In 1850, between 12 and 15,000 Vermont cattle were sent to the Cambridge market alone, and each weekly shipment there or at Brighton usually exceeded that of any other state. By 1857, the Rutland and Central Vermont lines of the Vermont Railway System were moving $79,000 per year in local freight, about $2.5 million today. Much of this would have been agricultural products. The inefficiency of early rail technology benefited Vermont's farmers, but engines and tracks improved, cars became refrigerated, and the national connectivity of rail began to tip back in favor of larger producers in the plains and western states. I think this is where we find Greg's largest in the region's wholesaler and their complex role in the food system of the day. E.D. Keys and Company Wholesale Grocers appears to have been the main tenant of Greg's aggregation center. Keys may have supported the region's farmers by purchasing, storing, and shipping their products to bigger markets but they also were in the business of importing from far-off agricultural sites. One Rutland Herald article reported on Keyes' business trip to Montana where he had cattle interests. The Rutland Downtown Railroad Yard had a much greater impact than just this one shared-use aggregation hub, though. The area was booming. In 1885, E.D. Keyes and Company, along with W.C. Landon and Samuel Curtis, occupied a wholesale and retail grocer's hub on Evelyn Street, where TD Bank's drive-through stands today. 
It was a three-story brick building with dry goods storage, office, and apartment space, flour feed and grain, lime, hair, and plaster building materials, and an agricultural imports attic full of exotic items like coffee, oranges, and teas from West India, all passed through this building. Davis, Gould, and Burdett purchased, stored, and shipped wholesale and retail flour, feed, and grain on the site of the parking lot across the street from today's Vermont Community College. They even had a farmer's hotel on site. Next door was Silas Knight, dealer in beef, pork, lamb, as well as vegetables, butter, and eggs. There was a freight depot in the current Price Chopper parking lot, a beef storeroom in the current Walmart parking lot, and F. Chaffee & Sons lumberyard and storage houses housed lumber, grain, flour, and baled hay on present-day West Street. Many of the buildings are still there, just down the road from the Lincoln Ironworks, the home of Rutland's present-day Vermont Farmers Food Center. You may have noticed a theme, that a lot of these aggregation and distribution centers gave way to parking lots. In Rutland and all across the U.S., the decline of rail had a sea-changing effect on the town. A succession of national and international retailers and grocers have supplanted the regional economy that once was. Back in the present, Greg Cox passionately believes that a fair regional food economy based on agriculture is not only possible, it is necessary for towns like Rutland. He has continued to work towards a goal of growing the region's agricultural economy by relocalizing it. Since 2012, Greg has been the driving force behind Vermont Farmers Food Center, Rutland's developing food hub. Vermont used to be having more diverse agricultural scene. And we're just rebuilding that. And one of the reasons it fell apart was everything got from a local system to a regional system, to a national system, to a global system. And that's basically like what happened to the infrastructure. As things went global, the infrastructure disappeared in a heartbeat. We're rebuilding. That's why the train is at the food center. It is a symbol that part of the future economics in Rutland lies in our past, the train. Getting food to the four million people that are three and a half hours away from this city where we stand right now. There's food hubs. There's no two food hubs that are the same. You know, there's no real good definition of a food hub. Everybody has a different definition of what a food hub is. Um, my definition of a food hub is a place. It's got to be place-based. It should have the infrastructure. Certainly Hardwick Wick, in my idea of a food hub, is a food hub. I mean, it aggregates, it distributes, it processes, um, it has commercial kitchen, it has education. Um, <clears throat> but whenever you have a, a place, things grow. You cannot have a piece of land where something is not going to grow. It's, it's obvious, it should be obvious, if you, if you know food systems, that they need, people need storage, coolers, um, they need markets, and they need efficiencies, and efficiencies come with facilities that have the equipment. 
And what sort of equipment or infrastructure is needed for that? What is needed? A facility, a flash freeze, or at least a, a, a freeze chiller, uh, vacuum packers, labeling machines, uh, buddying up with SBA, because you need a business plan. You really have to do your work. Think big, make it happen, represent the farmers, grow markets, make sure that everyone has access to that food, like pharmacy, and you know, be it running the Everyone Eats program. And we always think outside the box, and we are mission-driven. We want to rep we want to do what we said we're going to do. We want to feed people, create better access, better markets for farmers, and and better infrastructure. Rebuild that infrastructure, creating an equitable food justice-based food system. We need that stuff, and that's what BFFCs, you know, places to supply whatever the producer needs, whether it's bottom line farmer producer or or a, like a sugar bob or someone just starting out they need that equipment sugar bob bought uh, Vermont maple uh, sriracha and he was it was sugar bob because he's a maple syrup producer his thing was smoked maple syrup and then he was like well this kind of plays real in really well so we had uh, outfitted that space um, for Vermont maple sriracha um, and uh, so when when Sugar Bob bought it <clears throat> I mean he was a business that wanted to grow and we offered him the the location and the uh, the facility to grow it had a, it had a full commercial kitchen with a lot of the equipment he added to that equipment now his business is growing by leaps and bounds Sugar Bob's Finest Kind is an anchor tenant of Vermont Farmers Food Center, and VFFC is providing processing and storage space. In 2020, Sugar Bob gave me a tour of his kitchen and let me know what the connection to this food hub has meant for his business. We don't share this kitchen with anyone else, and we run it almost nearly constantly, uh, 40 hours a week, in production of our 16 SKUs, which fall into three basic categories of maple syrup, barbecue sauce and sriracha. But everything we do is maple sweet. It's the only sweetener we use in the entire operation. That's the sort of origin story for our company. So the kitchen is just, it is what it is. It's what you see. It's very small and compact. Everything's on wheels. We do a lot of coming and going, a lot of moving equipment around. And part of our success story, the reason we ended up here at the VFFC is we needed to get out of our garage and our sugar house and into a clean white box. So this was our pain point and it solved it. And we're grateful for the ability to uh, have made the acquisition of Vermont Maple Sriracha and for them to have built up the infrastructure that we then took over and grew and continued to create jobs in the relevant area. Agricultural value-added um, pr producer jobs. This is our fulfillment and uh, labeling area, so to speak. We have office space all the way down the end, little cubicles. But what we do is we take the stuff that we've made in the kitchen out here and this is where we sort of final produce it. We put our neckbands on and labels and pack it up, put it on pallets to ship out all around the country, the region, and the world for that matter. This is a rack of uh, smoked maple syrup we've been making over the last couple of days. That's a 250 milliliter bottle. That's our value-added unique product that sets us apart from everyone else. We are originators of, of uh, smoked maple syrup. 
But we make a lot of it. We just shipped a pallet of that to Japan, for example, which was really great because with the support of uh, the infrastructure here, the loading dock and the ability to put racks up and all the stuff that makes it possible that for a little player like us to act like a big player, we're shipping pallets worth of syrup to Japan, which brings, you know, that's Japanese dollars come back into the United States, but into Rutland specifically. So we're super proud of that small part of our business. Well, we've only been here for three years to start. So when we moved in, we were welcomed with open arms, which was great. And the obvious, we were instantly networked into the, uh, some of the programs that, that Greg in particular was, was participating with, the young professionals in Rutland, just little, you know, we, we felt like we stepped onto a moving train to get our, and, and then sort of, you know, we, we walked in with, with momentum and, and, and courage. Uh, the physical plant that we moved into solved our pain point. That was our, that was why we acquired Vermont Maple Sriracha, was to get access, to get the kitchen. In the process, we got another brand, which helped our business, right? And uh, being in Rutland gave us access to the infrastructure here. You know, the we, we came from Londonderry, and you know, we have everything from FW Web to you know Home Depot, heaven forbid, right around the corner. We can we can get stuff and make make stuff work. So, um, primarily, we've benefited from the infrastructure and the moral support. A food hub delivers a number of a number of basic services to the community, right? Aggregation, distribution, storage, and adding value to, to food. And we feel like what we do by being tenants of the Vermont Farmers Food Center is provide that 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 leg in that food hub uh, stool, so to speak. And adding value to agricultural products is what makes Vermont go around. I'm on the board of the Vermont Specialty Food Association and that's all of our members do that. We take raw material and add value to it and make, turn it into something special with the Vermont name on it. What we do in particular is take Vermont agricultural products, peppers in particular, and maple syrup, and take them off the commodity market where the growers are vulnerable to the whims of the traders and put them into the retailer's market, which is a little bit more of a crafted delivery and a crafted story. I have a dream that it's going to be a uh, a food manufacturing facility that I can either rent, manage, or hire to make my product. Uh, I, I know it can be done. I see it done all around the country, all around the region, and you know, the people in my industry, especially food, are always looking for that place, that co-packer, that shared use kitchen, that opportunity to, to get out of their garage, to get out of their um, their sugar house and into something bigger. And I really, that's the big dream for, for, for this spot, for me as a local producer. Well, what this serves, if this building is built out as a food production facility, it could serve as any number of things. If you want an educational component, you can teach people how to, to cook in there. You can teach people how to work in a commercial kitchen. You can show people that, 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 that kitchen jobs are jobs of, of, of decency and respect and honor, right? If you want to have it closed and just, you know, have like a super regulated kind of tight security system where you can have food being made in there by local producers who have autonomy over their, over their, their path, uh, but access to the technology, the facilities that, that, that make that happen. Um, the goal is to, to, to step back and see it from 60,000 feet. You have a building, you have farms, you have people, a, a state full of creative food makers, they need a place to work. So if you offer them that place to work, 
the work will happen. Back in episode five, we spent a morning at the farmer's market and found that farmer's markets are great for community building and for purchasing for your family. But what if you're feeding 50 or 150 people two or three meals a day? Well, a food hub can act like a farmer's market for an institution, like a hospital, residential living center, or a school. Food Connects in Brattleboro works to increase wholesale access to locally produced food and develop new markets for local food producers. Their food hub operates under two place-based brands, Food Connects Food Hub, serving Vermont, and Monadnock Menus, serving New Hampshire. To date, they have done $1.5 million in local food sales to local customers. Food Connect streamlines the ordering and invoicing processes for local institutions and runs regular delivery routes twice a week. The hyper-local sourcing of the organization makes source identification possible for each item purchased. Food Connects compensates growers with 80% of the sale price, which they state is significantly greater than the conventional standards. Wyndham Northeast Supervisory Union spent around $650,000 in total food expenditures last year, about 20% or $140,000 on local food purchased through Food Connects and directly from farmers. I spoke with Harley Sterling, the school nutrition director for WNESU over Zoom about the role local food plays in education and how his local food hub helps their district meet their nutritional and educational goals. Um, so I run the, the school meals program for our six public schools down here in southeastern Vermont. And our, our program is an independent program, also called like a self-op program. So we are run by the school district and all of our employees work for the school district. And we try to focus on farm to school, chef to school, scratch cooking, and getting as much local food on the menu as we can, while also trying to create systems that help uh, other schools and other folks do this. I like cooking, um, you know, the nurturing people through food and um, trying to bring in the best products and you know I've spent some time farming and so I I understand that world and I think it's just part of the bigger picture of having a resilient food system is having the institutions that have the ability to buy food um, buy local food and then the people who have the skills to prepare food you know cooks chefs whatever you want to call it for me, it's really rewarding to put those skills to use. Um, helping some folks who don't, some kids, you know, they don't necessarily have access to great food. Um, so I like putting my energy toward helping them get um, nutritious, high quality meals that also sort of, you know, teach them about food and become part of the greater educational experience. So, so to me, the work's really important because in the cooking world and the chef world, there's a lot of competition at the top um, for making really good food for people who can afford to buy whatever they want. And I find it really gratifying to sort of balance it out and help prepare food for people who necessarily can't buy whatever they want. 
Um, a lot of times the role of a vendor in a food service director's world is a phone call and then a truck shows up. Um, and that's sort of what Food Connects is. The difference on their end is that, you know, they work with a lot of small producers, hyper-local, as we say. Food Connect sort of helps connect uh, the small food growers and producers with customers like myself. They take care of the logistics, you know, they go to the farm, they pick up the boxes, they bring it here, you know, they warehouse it if need be. You know, having direct relationships with farms is, is awesome, but it can be really taxing if you need to get potatoes from one farm and cucumbers from another farm and yogurt from another place. And that's a lot of balls to juggle. Um, and so having an organization like a food hub, like Food Connects, do a lot of that work for you, definitely streamlines the process. Yeah, sure. So compared to like a broadline distributor, like a, you know, a Cisco or a performance food groups or, you know, the big trucks that you're ubiquitous across the country. You order potatoes and you don't necessarily know where those potatoes are coming from. They could come from Canada one week. They could come from Idaho the next week. Um, they have multi-point origins. So with Food Connects, you know which farm you're ordering from most of the time. So if I say I want Walker Farm cucumbers or I want summer squash from Pete's stand, um, that's single point origin. Mm. Kids love stories. I love stories. I think all people love stories. And when you have a story about a farm or, you know, some way to deepen the connection to the apple that's on your lunch tray, that definitely feeds into our farm to school objectives. Um, you know, getting kids engaged with food and getting them engaged with being lifelong healthy eaters. And um, I also think that Food Connects and food hubs around the state sort of have uh, parallel, like our, we have similar goals, um, deepening the, the food system. And they're a big part of that. They're like a, a partner organization in that because they sort of take care of the supply end. And then we in the farm to school world, you know, we work on the demand side of that. I mean, there's people all over the state of Vermont doing really creative things. And food hubs are a big part of that. And around here, uh, these guys are our go-to. So we love the apples. We, we do a lot of potatoes, carrots, veggies, um, yogurt, sometimes eggs, um, ground beef. You know, we try to build our menus around some staples that can be procured locally um, in a systematic way. We like to think about how can things become systematic? Like how can we build a menu around um, a beef farmer that we can find a way to make it, you know, make the money end of it work and just have these uh, these local staples anchor our menu to, to sort of create some consistency for everyone, for us and for um, the food hubs and also for the, for the farmers so that they can hang their hat, so to speak, on knowing that we're gonna buy X number of pounds per year. Um, so part of what we recognize is that by supporting food hubs and um, other people trying to do a piece of this work, you know, that's gonna help other folks down the line who might wanna run a farm to school program. And now they're gonna have a much more robust and 
networked food hub to work with? Well, I would just say like in general that I think Vermont as a whole is the nationwide leader in this kind of work. Um, and I'm definitely proud that our area is doing so well at this. Um, I think this has been a big year. A lot has happened very quickly with um, universal free meals taking effect and um, the new local purchasing incentive bill that just went through in the legislature, which has the potential to reimburse schools at a higher rate if they use a certain percentage of local food on their menu. So I think a lot is changing in, um, for the better right now. And I'm just excited to see the progress that is made. I'm excited to see more people try a systemic approach to local purchasing. And I hope it sticks, I think it will. And I hope that it just gives even more consistency. You know, more farmers that know that they can grow X number of pounds of potatoes per year and they can count on the schools to buy those and that they're going to the, to the folks of their community, the, the, the kids. Around Vermont, food hubs are helping producers find larger markets, businesses expand, and institutions purchase from their local producers. There are many food hubs around Vermont working to relocalize the economy. The Intervale Food Hub is a CSA direct-to-consumer model up in Burlington. In New Haven, Vermont Food Collaborative is a farm-her-owned operated food market that offers online sales with some county distribution and has a physical store site. The Mad River Food Hub in Waitsfield began as an incubator with USDA-certified vegetable and meat processing facilities and now is a business accelerator offering consulting services. Today, if you stand on the site of the old Keys Wholesaling Building on the end of Evelyn Street in downtown Rutland on a Saturday in the summertime, you can see 50 or more farmers selling their meats, produce, and value-added products to their customers in Depot Park. And you can imagine them on a Saturday in the near future loading their wares, like their predecessors did in 1880, into storage facilities, this time at Vermont Farmers Food Center, getting them ready for distribution once again to far-off markets. This episode of Root Words was produced by Stephen Abatel, with special thanks to Greg Cox, Jack Crowler and the Rutland Historical Society, Bob Houseline, and Harley Sterling. Historical information from this episode came from 500 Miles of Trouble and Excitement, Vermont Railroads, 1848-1861 by T.D. Seymour Bassetti from the Vermont Historical Society, as well as Sanborn Fire Insurance Maps, the Rutland Directory from 1884-1885, and the 1761-1911 Historical Rutland Souvenir Edition from Rutland Historical Society. Additional music for this episode is by Victor Herbert Orchestra. Our musical themes are by the Salt Ash Serenaders. We are a project of the Vermont Farmers Food Center and SAGE. Thank you all for listening and for being a part of our local food system. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from the National Endowment for the Humanities. We'll catch you next time on Root Words.